listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. So our scripture reading of today is Psalm 113. And since it's the Psalms, we decided that normally a psalm is supposed to be sung. So today I'm going to be singing the scripture reading. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time on and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all the nations, and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Paige. That was fun. I didn't expect the clapping, but I'm a drummer, so that spoke to me. <clears throat> that was good. So good morning again, everyone. Happy New Year. 2020. Uh, I hope you all had a good holiday, a good Christmas. I hope your new year is off to a good start. Although we're only five days in, so if not, there's still time. Don't lose hope. We can, <clears throat> we can turn the ship around. Um, it is a new year, though, uh, and a new decade, unless you're one of those people who thinks the decade starts next year, in which case um, you are loved and we're glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> but we're also starting a brand new teaching series here at Brockport First Baptist, and I'm excited for this one. Uh, for the next seven weeks, we're going to be diving into the book of Psalms. And if you couldn't tell by that scripture reading, uh, this series is going to be a little bit different. Psalms is really unlike any other part of the Bible we've looked at so far. Um, and we've covered a lot of ground together this last year and a half, I think it's uh, safe to say. We looked at a lot of the stories from the Bible. We did a lot of stories. Um, we did the parables of Jesus. We looked at stories about women from the Old Testament. We did the book of Jonah. Way back, we did the opening chapters of Genesis, a lot of great stories. Uh, we also, we've also studied a lot of the teachings of Jesus between the Beatitudes and the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we even looked at some Old Testament law over the summer with our Manna Economics series. That was fun. At least that was fun for me. I hope it was fun for you as well. But Psalms is different. 
Psalms is pretty unlike anything else we've looked at, and it's really unlike any other book of the Bible. It's a book of poetry. More than that, though, Psalms is a book of poems that are meant to be sung and prayed. Uh, In many respects, Psalms has more in common with our hymnals than with most of the other books of the Bible. It's the hymnal of ancient Israel. A lot of times when we read the, the Bible, we come looking for information. We want to analyze it. We want to learn something. We want some kind of takeaway, a teaching or a doctrine that we can apply to our lives. And while Psalms, Psalms has some of that, that's not the primary way this book works. You don't analyze poetry to see what practical takeaways you can glean from it, right? That's not how poetry works. Poetry speaks to us on a much deeper level, a soul level, to our our innermost beings, um, challenging us, transforming us from the heart. And so we're going to do things a bit differently in this series. Uh, I'm hoping it'll stretch us a bit. I know it's going to stretch me. Um, Every week in this series, we're going to have the psalm sung, um, or at least read over music, uh, the way it would have been heard maybe in ancient Israel. We're also going to explore other creative ways to engage the psalms in our worship time together as well. As Ginny mentioned at the outset, our call to worship today was based on Psalm 150. But in addition to encountering the psalms in new ways here in church, I really want to encourage and challenge you you all to be encountering the psalms throughout the week. Um, If you look in your bulletins, on the flip side of the announcements page, you're going to find something new. Uh, we got a space for sermon notes at the top, and then we've got this little box that says, Going Deeper with the Psalms. Um, This is really a prayer guide centered around the Psalms. Every week in this series, we're going to give you this guide uh, with a recommendation for how you can pray the Psalms, And every week, we're also going to include five new psalm recommendations to pray. I think that's under step two. Um, And we're really hoping that you can use this to incorporate the psalms in your prayer time. I know that personally, when it comes to prayer, I need as much structure and guidance as I can get. Um, So my hope is that this little guide and really this whole series will be a source of blessing to you in this new year. And that uh, maybe you'll have some new opportunities or some new ways to encounter God on a regular basis. Now, there's a lot of different ways we could study a book like Psalms. Um, I could just preach straight through it, like doing one psalm per week. That would be very thorough. Um, But there's 150 psalms. So if I'm doing the math right, that would take three years, which is a really, really long time. Um, I think we might lose some people if we spend three years on the psalms. Um, You know, that's how you'll know that I've completely run run out of ideas. When we spend three years on the psalms, um, send help please. Um, Another approach, another common approach to the Psalms um, is to focus on the most well-known Psalms, the famous stuff. Things like uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down by green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Restores my soul. You guys know this. Or, or Psalm 51 is another famous one. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Beautiful poems. Um, that's one approach. We could look at the famous ones, and that's actually a really good entry point to the Psalms. Start with what you know. Problem with that, though, is if we only focus on the Psalms we know, we're going to leave out a lot of this book. So we're not going to do either of those two approaches. Um, instead, for the next seven weeks, We're going to look at different genres of psalms, 
different types of psalms we find in the book of Psalms to kind of get a feel for the book as a whole. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I've got this uh, chart up here outlining some of the the major genres in the psalms. Uh, We've got psalms of praise, which we'll be talking about later today, psalms of thanksgiving, lament psalms. Those are the sad ones, Um, and you'll notice those are also the biggest chunk of the book, which is fascinating. Wisdom Psalms, which are psalms that are supposed to teach us something. Royal Psalms, which are psalms about the king. And then there's about a half dozen or so other subgenres of psalms, not even in here, kind of embedded within these, that we'll touch on along the way. Each week in this series, we're going to zero in on one of these categories and really dive into it, unpack it. Um, read a few psalms from that genre, and hopefully, my, my hope is by the time this series is over, you will be able to open to any part of the psalms, start reading, and pretty quickly know what you're dealing with and how to use that psalm in your walk with God. Does that sound like a plan? Good, because I am not preaching for three years on this book. <laughs> All right, um, so today we're going to talk about praise psalms. Um, But before we do that, I feel like I need to give you a little introduction to the book of Psalms, like at least a little bit, Um, maybe like a crash course highlighting some things that are good to keep in mind as we go through the book of Psalms. So I want to touch on three things in quick succession, Uh, the form of the Psalms, origins of the Psalms, and the mystery of the Psalms. And then with the time we have left over, we'll talk about praise Psalms. So form. How many people here are familiar with poetry? Like you've at least read a poem at some point. Maybe, like you know what a poem is. Okay, that's that's everybody, that's good, that's good. Um, Do we have any lovers of poetry here? Anybody who like reads poems for fun? Okay, that's a lot less of us. Um, I'm with you though, I like like poetry a lot. Um, I assume though for the rest of us that we're probably scattered across the spectrum. Some people probably hate poetry, some are indifferent. Uh, others probably just think it's okay, right? That's kind of all the bases. I've got some good news and bad news when it comes to the form of psalms, um, depending on your relationship to poetry. In some ways, the psalms are a lot like English poetry. A lot of the same things you either love or hate about poetry shows up in this book. Um, Like a lot of common tropes we associate with poetry, things like um, simile, metaphor, figurative language, acrostics show up in the psalms. That stuff is all there in these poems. But where Hebrew poetry differs from English poetry is really in the structure of a poem. What what makes a poem a poem? English poetry tends to lean heavily on things like rhyme and meter. Like the ends of a line of the lines in English poems tend to rhyme a lot of the times, not always. Um, If you think about any pop song you've ever heard, or any sonnet you've read, you know that there's usually this flow. It's kind of catchy, sometimes annoying uh, with a poem. You can almost hear it when you read it, like da-da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. You guys know what I'm talking about? Is that familiar? Good, people are nodding, excellent. Um, But even with the less like sing-songy poetry, even with poems that don't rhyme, meter is still usually pretty important in English poetry. There's usually some intentionality, some rhythm to the number of syllables in a line that means something. That's what makes a poem a poem for us. Hebrew poetry has a bit of that. You do find um, some meter and some rhyming in the original Hebrew. That's all completely lost when it's translated to English, by the way. 
But what really gives structure to Hebrew poems are parallel ideas within a text. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, Hebrew poetry basically repeats itself a lot. Um, It'll say something, and then the next line it says the exact same thing or something like it, but just a little different. To see what I mean, here's uh, an example or a few examples from Psalm 18. Got kind of three couplets here that do this, this echo. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I, cr- I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Do you see how each line in this poem kind of has a partner? Actually, we got lines and stuff on it? Yeah. It's kind of synced up like this echo every other line. It's, it's almost like a call to worship, like they would have used this in worship or something. Go figure. This is what, the fancy word for this is parallelism. Think about parallel lines. This is parallelism. And this is the core attribute of Hebrew poetry. It's what makes a psalm a psalm. So as you read the psalms as you're on your own and as we look at them here in church together, keep an eye out for these parallels. Sometimes it's an echo. It's like the exact same thing. Sometimes it's a contrast. Sometimes it's two lines. Sometimes it's three. There's usually some sort of repetition, though, going on in the psalm. That's their form. Now for the origin of the psalms. And this gets into some really interesting territory. The oldest psalm we think is Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses, which would place it somewhere around 1400 BC, um, give or take a century. So roughly 3,400 years ago. And Psalm 90 starts out like this. We've got it up here. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. That right there is one of the oldest poems in existence, which I think is cool. That gives me tingles, but I like poetry. Hopefully it does something similar for you. So we got Psalm 90, uh, written around 1400 BC. And then the last psalms to be written, kind of the the youngest psalms in our Bibles, uh, would be dated from sometime in the post-exilic period. That's after the Jewish exiles returned from Babylon and rebuilt the temple. So we're talking anywhere from between like 500 and like 300 BC, which means that the time span between the oldest psalm in our Bibles and the youngest psalms in our Bibles is about a thousand years. When we read this book, when we sing these songs and pray these poems together, we are encountering a tradition that is incredibly deep and incredibly ancient. These are songs that escaped Hebrew slaves would have sung around the campfires as they were going through the wilderness with Moses. These are the prayers of Jewish exiles in Babylon who were yearning to go home. They're the songs that were sung for generations in the temple and the prayers that people like Jesus, Paul, and the disciples would have grown up hearing every day in their homes and in synagogues. All that history going back almost 3,500 years, is retained and preserved right here in the middle 
of our Bibles. And that history points us toward the mystery of the Psalms. There's a lot we don't know about this book. We don't know who wrote most of the Psalms. Um, Oftentimes, the Psalms will start out with this heading that seems to point to authorship. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see these, a Psalm of David, a Psalm of Asaph, a Psalm of the sons of Korah. When we see that kind of stuff, we usually assume that that means authorship. A Psalm of David means David wrote the Psalm. Problem is that the Hebrew here is a lot more vague than the English. In Hebrew, a Psalm of David could mean a Psalm written by David. That's definitely possible. But it could also be a psalm that was commissioned by David, a psalm that King David paid to have someone else write. could also mean a psalm that was dedicated to David or written in David's memory. It could be a psalm uh, based on some element of David's life, like inspired by David. It could be a psalm written in the same style, the same melodic singing pattern as David. All of those are possible. So while David likely wrote some of the psalms, it's hard to know exactly which ones. And the author of most of the psalms remains a mystery. We also don't know who collected the psalms in their present form. We don't know who arranged them or why they're in the order that they're in. And this sense of mystery just echoes through the book. Uh, If you have a good study Bible and you read through the Psalms, every once in a while you're going to come across this little note in the text that says, the meaning of the Hebrew is unclear. That happens a lot in this book. And that's a fancy way to say that um, world-class Bible scholars, like professional, seasoned translators who read this stuff in their sleep, they came to this part of the poem and they said, I don't know. Whatever the author was trying to say here, whatever the Spirit of God was moving them to write or to pray, it broke down the rules of language to the point where we don't know what they were saying. It can't be rendered into intelligible English. Which for me just drives the point home that we are dealing with something very holy and sacred here. This book is beyond us. It's bigger than us. When we pray these prayers and sing these songs, we are encountering encountering something divine. There's even this one word we find repeatedly in the Psalms, Selah. Can you all say Selah for me? Selah. We have no clue what that means. Like we just forgot at some point. Uh, Selah appears 71 times in the book of Psalms, and at some point in the last 2,500 years, the meaning of the word was lost. Even like native Hebrew speakers don't know what Selah means. So in most English Bibles, we just leave it untranslated, Selah. Some people think it might be like musical notation, like a note to the person performing or singing the psalm that they're supposed to pause or take a breath or repeat a line. Some people think it's like a dynamic marking, like get louder or softer. Um, Some think Selah is an instruction for the performer to ad-lib, kind of like a a guitar solo for ancient Israel. I know, like, there's some people here that would really like that interpretation. And some people think that Selah has nothing to do with the music at all. Some rabbis believe that Selah is angelic speech, like an early form of speaking in tongues. Some think it was an invitation for the congregation to raise their hands in worship. 
Some believe the, the word is rooted in the Hebrew term for eternity, and others think Selah is just the Hebrew version of yippee. Selah. The next time you find yourself at a loss for words, maybe in a time of like personal crisis or, or loss, tragedy, great joy, and you need to pray, but you just don't have the words to say what you need to say to God? Selah. Selah. So that's my introduction. Now we've got to talk about praise psalms. All right. Now, obviously, we're not going to get to go as deep into praise psalms as we will in future weeks where we don't have to do, like, an intro to the book. But that's okay because if you're familiar with the psalms at all, you already know a lot of this stuff. Praise psalms are like vintage psalms. This is what we think of when we think of the book of psalms. Um, Like Psalm 13, which Paige um, sung for us earlier. It'll be on the screen. I'll read it for you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. See the parallel? The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless widow in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. That is like a classic praise psalm right there. It's a great example of what we find structure-wise in most of these praise psalms. Um, Praise psalms typically open with a call to praise the Lord or hallelujah in Hebrew. A lot of you are probably familiar with that word. Um, That's a command, though, by the way. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's not like a throwaway line. That's not like praise God, praise be. That is a command. You, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The psalmist is commanding us to praise whenever you see that line or that word in the psalms. So praise psalms tend to open with this command to praise God. Then we find two components that are in almost every praise psalm. Um, a recognition of who God is and of what God has done. Um, the who God is piece is verses 4 to 6. This will be on the screen as well. I hope you Oh, good, you're keeping up. This is awesome. I, was, I wasn't sure. This is a little all over the place. So. All right, um, the who God is piece is right here, 4 to 6. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? There's awe in this description of God. The psalmist is saying that God is really big. God's bigger than all the nations, more glorious than the heavens. God has to stoop down and squint just to see this tiny little universe of ours. That's a really big God. And then in verses 7 and 9, the psalmist praises God for what God has done. God raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. 
And then it ends with a concluding call to praise. Praise the Lord. These are the four components we find in almost every praise psalm. Opening call to praise the Lord, awe at who God is, awe at what God has done, and a concluding call to praise. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple. But as a template for praising God, I think this is brilliant and so helpful. I don't know about you, um, but sometimes I really struggle with praise. Like praise isn't something that comes naturally to me. It's not something I think about all that often. Um, It's not even something I'm sure that I completely understand half the time. But I can wrap my mind around this. Straightforward enough. So often we think about praise as something that happens when we're here in church. Like we stand together in a big room with people we only half know. Singing songs that like aren't that good, right? Do we still sing them? While that's certainly a form of praising God, that's not what praise is about. Not really. Praise is a posture that comes from a sense of awe. It's a way of being in the world, a way of orienting ourselves toward God and everything else. It's about living in a sense of wonder in light of who God is and what God has done. Praise comes from this, emerge, uh, this awareness that there's this, this thing, this being, this reality that we call God. This creator who formed the universe, who sparked the Big Bang, and it also formed us in our mother's wombs. This entity that's so much bigger than us, even the biggest, greatest thing we imagine can't come close. This divine reality, this God, somehow cares about us, loves us, calls us to be his children. This is the power that shaped the cosmos and raised Jesus from the dead, and yet also dwells inside of us as the Holy Spirit. If you're not a little terrified about that, you might want to check your pulse. Praise isn't a style of music. It's not something we do for an hour on Sunday mornings. If we're doing it right, praise should be our lifestyle. It should be the lens through which we see everything. Sometimes we struggle with praise because so often in church, praising God can feel phony or forced. It's like you have to put on a smile, say yay, go God, act happy. That's not what praise is about. Not if the Psalms are any guide. In Hebrew, the title for Psalms, for the book of Psalms, is Mizmore Tehalim. I won't make you say that one. Mizmore Tehalim, which literally translates songs of praise. But wait a minute. I thought praise is just one genre of psalm. How can it all be called psalms of praise? Well, It is if we talk about a specific type of psalm, the psalms that that follow this flow, this outline exactly. Those are praise psalms. We go back to the um, chart. It's only like 20%. There's only like 30 of those in the book. But on a much deeper level, it's all praise. 
The Psalms is not a happy-go-lucky book. You're not going to find forced smiles and sappy lyrics in this collection of poetry. There's some really dark stuff in the Psalms. Almost half the book is made up of lament, these prayers that cry out to God in anguish, in times of loss, acknowledging our brokenness and asking for help. Prayers that call God out. God, I know how big you are. I know that you're big enough to handle this thing I'm going through, and I've seen you work before, but why don't I see you working now? God, where are you? That's a song of praise. Whatever you're going through in your life right now, whatever doubts you're wrestling with, whatever trials or struggles you're up against, all of it can be offered in praise to God. It's not easy and it doesn't come naturally, but I think that's maybe why God gave us a guide right in the middle of our Bibles. So this week I want to encourage you to pray these psalms of praise. Use this prayer guide, keep it with you, turn to it in the morning or the evening. Meditate on them, read them, sing them out loud if you have to. And may these ancient Hebrew poems, prayers, songs, be a source of inspiration and strength to you as you cultivate a sense of wonder and awe at the power of God in your life. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We praise you from the mountaintops and the valleys. We praise you in times of joy and times of struggle. We praise you for your action in our lives and in our world. Thank you for always being with us, Lord. God, we ask that you speak to us through the book of Psalms these next seven weeks. Make your presence known to us as we journey together through this ancient hymnal. Use these songs of praise to cultivate a sense of wonder and joy as we meditate on your power and reflect on your faithful presence in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.